Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 47. Today I'm speaking with Jesus Chavez, CEO at Vertical Networks, a company building a mobile-first premium content studio featuring hit shows like Brother and Phone Swap. We discuss what it means to be mobile first, as well as what the future of mobile video looks like from a content and distribution standpoint, and what it's like being a first-time CEO. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Jesus Chavez, the uh, CEO at a company called Vertical Networks. It's actually, it was founded by Elizabeth Murdoch and they're building a really interesting company. It's a media company, building mobile first, con- premium mobile first content, I should say, right, Jesus? Welcome. That's Thank correct. You. Yeah. Thank you for Thank being you. here. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, so give us before we before we dive into you and my first question, which I like to, as most people know, I like to start with you know with who you are and what you do. Give us a little idea in terms of uh, what Vertical Networks is working on currently, and uh, and and why and why you decided to uh, join there as CEO. Yeah, sure, no problem. Um, so yeah, with, I mean Vertical Networks, as you mentioned, we are a company that's really focused on really trying try to drive the process for building out premium um, mobile storytelling, and which is really a big, a big reason why I joined the company. I think one of the bets that I made or that I'm making and why I was excited about joining this place is that as I think about what is happening in the broader marketplace, I think we're getting to a point now where I think the market is starting to recognize the importance of mobile, uh, not just the point of distribution, but really as a point of consumption. And, and what I mean by that is I think historically there's been a lot of media companies. So if you think of the progression of the media companies that went from linear to digital, digital being O and O at first, then from digital to social, and then some have made it from social to mobile. So I think there's, there's a lots of players out there who are creating content of which every day that content is being consumed in mobile environments. But I think there's very few companies who really think about mobile as a place of where that content is specifically meant to be consumed. And I think that's one of the big points of differentiation that, differentiation that I see with vertical networks. And part of where I'm making the bets is I think that the marketplace will continue to shift towards really recognizing the importance of, of really thinking of that, of that place, of having to create custom experiences specifically for mobile environments. And you see that in some of the, in some of the sort of companies that have, that are, that have, that have come up, places like Quibi, or they're, you know, they're really starting, starting to invest a lot more dollars into and creating content specific for mobile. Uh, and I also think that marketers, as they're gonna continue to shift their their marketing spends towards digital, you also see shifts towards mobile specifically. And I think there's always gonna be a need to really be associated with more premium environments uh, and be associated with, with more premium content. And for that reason, we're pretty, pretty bullish about what we're doing, where we're going. Um, over the last six months, part of the, what I've been focused on is you know, when I came into the, to the company, as, as you mentioned, it's a company that three years ago was funded initially by Elizabeth Murdoch with also investment from Snapchat. And we had, we almost out of necessity, we had to learn how to operate and succeed in, in the mobile environment because the company was sort of born specifically on Snapchat. What, what I saw as the opportunity coming in is because of, of that sort of necessity of understanding how to engage audiences in this really distracted environment, which is mobile, we have earned uh, or earned a lot of sort of mobile IQ that I thought could be really uh, important to try to really leverage it and expand it across multiple platforms. So over the last six months that I've been here, we spent a lot of time in really trying to expand our brand across platforms, sort of leveraging the mobile IQ across different places. Uh, the other thing that we've done is really tried to accelerate uh, the IP that we're building out. So we're a company that over in last year, we did nine original mobile first series um, as we get into uh, by next month, I guess already. So within the first four months of the of the year, we have we would have done or we we have put in place another seven original series that we put on the market. So we really are trying to accelerate that pace. Um, and a lot of it is really sort of based on our approach, right? Our, our thinking here is that 
we want to be able to develop IP that can be successfully incubated in mobile and be sort of mobile first offerings. But really with formats that we feel strongly that can be actually expanded and sort of grow into bigger platforms. Um, and we sort gotcha. of build an entire organization that is optimized to, to do this in a very sort of test and iterate type of approach. And so our speed to market in developing this content and engaging with this content is actually pretty quick. Uh, and those are things that I'm you know, really excited about that we're, that we're, that we're building up. That sounds like a ton of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, no, I mean, it yeah. sounds like it sounds like you're a busy guy, like, you know, you, and your company is, is doing some really cool things um, right now. It definitely sounds like you guys have your a lot of work on your plate. Yeah, I think when, when you're when you're trying to go out and push a sort of push the boundary of what storytelling is and what it can be going forward. Um, is, is not new in the sense, formats are not new. There's been formats, and especially unscripted formats that have been done forever. But I think especially being able to engage audiences. And when I say distracted environment, I mean that when people ask me who my competitors are on uh, uh, for, for our content, you know, the way that I think about it is, you know, we're competing against everything that's on a person's phone that I'm stopping them from doing from every second that they spend consuming my content. And, it, and it's really when you start thinking about the world that way, because I'm competing against text, you know, DM, alerts, everything that's on a person's phone, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when you think about the world that way, it makes you really rethink what does it take to actually engage this audience in that environment. So the the, the examples that I tend to get to give, sort of the extremes, I would say, would be is if I was creating content, let's say for a movie theater experience, you know, most of us that will go to a movie theater, the second we walk into to watch that film, we're committing two hours of our of our day to watch that content, right? And you know, even if the, the movie is terrible, very few of us will actually walk out of that, of that film. We may sit right. there looking at our watch saying, when is this going to get better, right? But, but very <laughs> That's true. I've, I've only ever wa- walked out of one movie in my entire life well, so far. It has to be <laughs> that terrible, right? You're not yeah, exactly. exactly. But what, what I'm getting at is if I am a, a, a storyteller for that medium, I know I have you for two hours. So I have time to develop story. I have time to develop the plot to sort of get you really engaged. Well, if that content was like really optimized specifically for mobile, not to say that it can be consumed, because of course we, we could watch film, full films on our, on our phone any, any, day, any day of the week. But what I'm saying, if that content was truly optimized for a mobile first experience, you just don't have that kind of time, right? You don't have that kind of time to develop story. You don't have half an hour, 40 minutes to just get into what story is gonna be about. So we're very sensitive to that. So that's all sort of how we, as I think about the extremes and there's a lot of obviously that we've learned over time because we're also a very data-driven organization of which we've gone to a really painful process of deconstructing sort of the different elements associated with how to engage, like basically the the what the story is and the how to tell it um, to really understand what does it take to engage these audiences. And the reality is we have a very short window to capture the attention and then to keep the attention throughout an entire episode. And everything that we build is sort of optimized in that way. And and yeah, so that's sort of how I think about some of the, the two extremes of, of those two different worlds of, of storytelling. So I'm I'm so I'm, I, let me recap just to make sure I fully understand where you're saying. So basically, mobile first essentially to you means um, that it takes into account the person's uh, time constraints uh, and as uh, you know what device I guess they're using a uh, tablet or a phone. Um, you know, and impacts the story and the narrative that you're able that you go with, and when you're creating your content, because it it has to be That's accessible, correct. it has to be, uh, and it has and it has to you know be something that can be you know almost I don't want to say bite sized but it has to be um, you know able to be consumed in a, in a way that if it were to get a if it were to get interrupted that um, you know they they come back to and not feel like they're missing out on a ton of stuff. Uh, or that they can just finish it, feel like they can finish it before getting to the interruption. (laughs) That's right. So even if you think about the majority of the content that we create for mobile, it's vertical, right? Not horizontal. And the Mm -hmm. reason we do that is because there's... Oh, hence vertical networks. Now it makes sense. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Because it's all all about intentionality, right? So we create our content in vertical. As a matter of fact, when we shoot our content, we literally flip our cameras uh, sideways to be able to catch it or, or capture the content in uh, in vertical, because it's all about intentionality, right? We don't want to capture content horizontal and then crop it because how you frame that content will look very very different, right? Um, and and the reason we do it we do it vertical is that because that's the way your phones are designed, right? Your your phones are designed vertically. I mean, just try doing anything on your phone 
uh, horizontally outside of sort of getting forced to watch content horizontally because it wasn't optimized for mobile, right? There's very few things you could actually do horizontal with your phone because it wasn't designed that way. So our whole thesis here is we want to develop an ex uh, a sort of a content experience that is exactly optimized for where you're watching it, but it speaks to our intentionality of how we're creating content. And that's sort of the beginning of it, right? You can't just simply just turn it horizontal and, and it's there. Just in the same way that when I, when I talk about mobile-first content, one of the, I think, big misconceptions that I hear quite a bit is I hear a lot of people speak to immediately in terms of length. Oh, short-form content. Well, yeah, I mean, length, of course, plays a factor how long it is. But simply because a piece of content is short doesn't make it mobile or mobile-first. An example that I always give is, you know, take your traditional TV commercial, right? Your TV commercial is going to be 30 to 60 seconds in length. That doesn't make it a mobile first content. It's short, sure. It's it's you know it falls within that window that most of us would think of it like as being mobile optimized, but it's just it's just short the length, not necessarily mobile first. Uh, and that's something that we think about. So there's a sort of whole slew of of parameters that we look at that we've tested over time to understand what does it take to engage these audiences and these, these kind of environments. And we went through a really painful process of actually looking at the sort of our, our episodic content, deconstructing it almost literally shot by shot against over 100 variables, and then tracking the how each of those variables uh, impacted the completion rate of each of this content. So as an example, one of the things that we saw early on is that when we created content that had sort of a big sort of panoramic shot as part of it, where you see like a landscape as an example, we, even, if, even though it was shot uh, vertically, we would see that the completion rates for content would actually decrease by about, I think about 22%, right? Meaning that that content, while it was done vertically, which you would say, oh, immediately that makes it mobile first, because of what was in there, it actually didn't engage well with this audience because also watching content in a mobile experience, it's a very sort of personal experience that you're watching and that type of shot just did not align well to how people want to consume this kind of content. So we, we will see things like that, people, you know, things immediately drop off. There's things that we measure, such as sort of shot or like, you know, what, what is the density in the screen really? Like how much action do you have going on there? We mm -hmm. also think a lot about sort of gamification. And even even if it's implied gamification where the audience, you know, when we used to think sort of historically about lean back versus lean forward, well, we started thinking even sort of further than that is how do we create content that allows the, the audience to follow along, to be more actively engaged in what's taking place within that experience? And that's... Those are the kind of factors that we're thinking about, and 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 those all those factors obviously impact how we tell stories, um, and part of the big part of the reason why we've had the success that we've had in creating this type of content. I'm gonna I'm gonna try I'm gonna make an attempt here to to explain a thought that was running through my head uh, while 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 you were talking about that because I think I, I'm just curious if it's one of the parameters that you guys think about. So, and if this makes no sense, please forgive me. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, no. So, so, so in, in typical TV shows and movies and things like that, and kind of you know traditional content, if you will, let's just go with traditional content. Uh, you know, there, there are there are often a lot of scenes or sequences that I'm assuming you guys have figured out that you can cut out of the production in order to make it more mobile friendly and, and mobile optimized. Is that like does that correct. make sense? It, it totally makes sense, you know. And when we when we talk about our strategy is being to is is being is having the ability to be able to incubate mobile first content, but then be able to with formats that can scale. That's kind of what we mean, right? So when you think about developing a format or a show uh, for mobile versus one that goes to television, there's a lot of you know, for lack of a better word, a lot of, a lot of filler material that ends up getting added back into the content that you really just don't have the time to include uh, within a, a mobile experience, right? So we think of sort of taking the best parts, the most uh, action-based part, you know, parts of a, of a story, packing them in within a, 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 a mobile-first content, and then you're able to, if, if as you think about how do I then develop this format or expand it into a place where it really then is really meant to be consumed in a linear environment, then, then those would be exactly right how you mentioned it, which would be that we will add back in all of those additional elements and shots that do enhance the story, but are more, they're additive, but not critical. Maybe it's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. uh, they're additive to the experience, but they're not critical in terms of what that show is actually about. Right, exactly. No, that's really interesting. I, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I, 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 was ex I, was, I was expecting you to say something like that. And it's just, it definitely mm -hmm. makes sense as, as to why you would do it that way. And I think there, 
there, those are some really interesting insights in terms of how you how you guys at Vertical Networks actually go about thinking about premium mobile content. It's not just that it's vertical. It's not just that you know it, it may it may be short in in length, but it, it may not be. I mean, it's all about sure. it's all about making sure that the the, the actual narrative and the storyline um, are cons- are actually consumable on a mobile device in a in a way that 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 works for the uh, the viewer. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I want to I want to um, talk a little bit about existing media brands, and uh, the reason I want to is because I know that you had uh, you previously worked at Univision, which is a mm-hmm. behemoth of uh, a media company, and I'm curious, you know, now now that you're CEO at Vertical Networks, if you have any thoughts about how existing media brands uh, can, can start making a move towards being mobile first, like what. What are some of the steps they need to take here in order in order to kind of get on the level where you guys are? Yeah, I think it starts with the recognition of how the audience is actually consuming content, right? And so when when I was saying earlier about this this sort of evolution or transition that I've seen over over the years of media companies from linear to digital to social to mobile, is that and you see it all the time, even with companies that you would think would be more sort of digital first companies is that a lot of content gets produced with, let's say, Facebook in mind, but not not necessarily with Facebook on mobile, right? And that's, I think, a big, big distinction that we're making, right? And I think a big part of it, of course, is you have companies that are trying to leverage uh, assets and investments that they've made in other places already and just simply trying to repackage them and put them uh, into these, these sort of smaller screens. And I think it starts with sort of the recognition that when you look at that audience, especially anyone that is targeting younger generations, which is really sort of the core focus of our, of our, our company, is that for them, the, the mobile screen is not a sort of a, the in-between screen until they get to a better place. It is the screen, right? That is where they're consuming a lot of this content. And it's about having that intentionality and engaging them in the environment where they're already, in, where they're already consuming content with a different type of storytelling. Now, that doesn't mean you can't leverage some of the assets you had historically, but you have to be extremely intentional about creating the content that is really truly optimized to be consumed in a, in a mobile device, which is just a very different type of experience. Um, and, and I think that's where I see a lot of that it, that it currently doesn't happen in a lot of places. And, you know, as you mentioned, my, my progression, and I sort of saw it across the board is, you know, I was, while I was at Univision, I was running a digital organization within a linear company, which just, it's just a very different animal, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then they're going to my previous organization. I was at a company called MeToo, M-I-T-U, which is also a digital media company, it was a startup digital media company focused against Latino market here in the U.S. And, you know, there was sort of an evolution from thinking about the world. In, yeah, Univision was more linear first and then trying to move some of that stuff into digital. Uh, and MeToo was about being digital first and very focused against the Latino market in the, in the U.S., and what I'm doing now at, at Vertical Networks is really about young generations, you know, young, and especially when we think about Gen Z, which is the largest generation that we've had today, the most diverse generation that we have today. So at this point, it's really more about diversity across the board, but really digital with an extra focus on mobile because that is is not just digital nature. Like I, I, we don't create to be you know content to be consumed in a, in a desktop. We create content to be consumed on mobile because that's where this young generation is consuming content. And I think it's a lot of these, these bigger companies or, or, or other media companies start thinking about the world that way because that that is where they're, where they're consuming the content. So I, I still I used to see it all the time. As a matter of fact, there was examples that I can recall. I you know I remember seeing this piece of content that we had put together for a brand, and I was speaking with one of our head creative, super digital person, and I remember seeing this little small blurb on sort of the, the bottom corner of the video, and I asked the question, what is this? And the response that he gave me was like, oh, that's actually our logo. I'm like, what do you mean, sir? I can't see it. Like, and he literally told me, like, don't worry about it. When you see it in a real screen, it'll look fine. And when I got that kind of response, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a, it's a great answer because it sort of speaks to the the misconceptions people have, and sort of the the fact that a lot of folks have ignored the, the, that this content was going to be consumed on mobile, right? And that is where that content can be consumed. So we know we created this piece of experience that was for Facebook. And we all know that, at least at the time, with like 90% plus of those views were going to be viewed on mobile. Still, the content was not developed for that experience. And that's what I mean by that, right? I think that happens a lot more than what most people realize. A lot of content is being created for social or for digital, even though how it's actually going to be consumed is in a mobile experience. 
Yeah, it's a great point. I think, and I think especially re- with regard to older, more mature, established companies like Univision, they have the, they have the issue of, um, you know, exploiting their existing kind of market, and, sure. and and then exploring new markets. But it's a very hard thing to do both, as many companies, at some point in their in their lifetimes, find out, and it, sometimes it could be the death of that company that they're not able to explore. Yeah. And, and 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 bring in uh, new models t- in which to, to do business. It can be it could be a death, uh, a terrible death for um, for them, for sure. That's right, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a de- it's definitely a a a problem. I think a lot of media companies are facing. And I think you know, so it's just hard for people sometimes to wrap their head around. Like for example, for me, I I prefer watching content either on on the television or on my computer, but. And I, I don't really enjoy watching very much content on mobile, uh, at least the content that I'm usually watching, because I don't think that may, be, that may be a generational thing. It may also be it's just that it's not optimized like you are, like your content mm-hmm. is. Uh, and sure. it's, it could be both, I guess, too, right? Yeah, it's probably both, right? And I think it's, it's def- there's definitely a generational impact, right? So as you think about younger generations, you know, who grow up, you know, when you think about some of the young generations, you know, a lot of these kids are getting their their first phone at 10 years old. I think in some of the research that we saw, it's about the average age that kids wow. you know, get get a, get a phone. So they're growing up in a in a world where mobile is just part of who they are. That's part of how they consume their their view of media is is on mobile. And I think that's a, a big distinction that that we see. You know, part of the challenge that I see as well with sort of some of the traditional storytelling that you would see on linear is that I think of TV viewing as sort of both a primary and secondary experience. And what I mean by that is, how many times you find yourself watching something on your television screen, and at least I'm the worst at this, where you know, immediately I start looking at my phone and just get distracted. And mm-hmm. I find myself having to go rewind, go rewind, go rewind, right? Well, same thing here, right? If that content was was specifically built for mobile, and it has those sort of slow spots in the content, the second you leave, you're gone. You're not coming back to it. Right. So once again, it goes back to intentionality. Like you really have to be thoughtful about engaging people in mobile environments because you don't have the luxury of creating these sort of primary slash secondary experiences because there is no secondary. You're either watching it or you're not. Right. Which right. is exactly. very different than watching that on, on television. So speaking of speaking of that, uh, you're either watching it or you're not. I, I think that's a good segue for my next topic that I'd love to talk with you about in terms of analytics for your content. Mm-hmm. And, and and before I before I ask the the question, how uh, of how important are analytics to you got to your content at, at Vertical Networks, is how, I guess the first part of that should be how do you define a successful uh, view of your content? Yeah, uh, to us, a successful view is is uh, I would say it, it goes back to what our strategy is and how we're evolving, right? You know, one of the things that I think about a lot is, you know, I think of media companies that have heavy social distribution. You know, the question I always ask myself is, what is the residual value being built from that social audience, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, and you see it happen over and over again, is I don't want to be a situation where I'm constantly in, um, in an effort of trying to chase the next viral hit, right? I think a lot of effort had been put in and thought about is, how do I get a specific piece of content, just get the biggest audience possible on whatever social platform you're publishing. And that may be interesting and great, but if, if that's a one-time hit and that happens, but not, there is no residual value that comes from that audience, then that's not very valuable to me, right? And that, I think there was a lot of companies who got into this mode of basically audience hacking and would use a lot of content that was very sort of viral in nature, UGC type of things, memes, whatever it be the case, and you know could do a pretty decent job of getting a lot of audience with any individual piece of content. The challenge with that model is that the second that any of those platforms sort of change the, the rules of how their algorithms work, then all of a sudden that viral reach that you were getting before is just gone. Which is and exactly not- what we saw on Facebook, right? And- exactly, right? And yeah. you have nothing nothing to show for that, right? So for us, really, what, what the way that we think about it is the residual value that we're building with our audience is, is really about using our social audience really for two reasons. One is to be able to to learn from them in terms of behavior, what engages, uh, what are the type of topics that really resonate with his audience. And number two, to use it as a point of distribution for us to build out these formats, to build out these contents, to understand what actually works because what then I'm left with 
is these different, basically, you know, IP of, of shows that I'm building now, because I have a whole slate now, all of which have been tested, that I understand exactly what works for them, what doesn't. And that is ultimately what I'm building as the residual value. Now, of course, as I do this, or as not, as we do this, I'm sorry, is we obviously want to make sure that we understand what are the formats that work, why they work. Uh, so we spend a lot of time understanding the behavior of that audience and how are they engaging with any you know individual piece of content that we're doing. But that was a big sort of evolution of our of our of our company. Uh, initially, it was sort of very separated between having one social team that was doing mostly daily publishing that was more sort of social type content that you could just we were producing sort of different on different topics every single day. And then we had an originals team that was doing most of our shows, right? The IP that we're building out. Well what we've done is we've sort of merged those two worlds together because in our mind, really we we think of our social distribution channels as an opportunity for us to continue to build on this IP. That is the residual value that we that we're that we're that we're that we're generating. And for that reason, as we launch content, like we're always doing it in batches, or we do any original show that we launch, we do it typically in a, in a batch of either four to six episodes. And the reason we're doing that because what we're looking for is we're looking for obviously engagement in an individual piece of content. We want it to be successful, but we want audience to build episode by episode. We're looking for repeat usage or repeat consumption of the content that we create. So we are a very data-driven organization. As a matter of fact, it's part of the lifeblood that we have. I think we have a really unique situation where even the person that I have uh, overseeing content strategy for the company, uh, when she initially joined the organization, um, her job was audience development. And you know, the challenge with audience development roles typically within any media company is many times they end up being sort of internal consultants where they're constantly giving suggestions to the content team about what to do or what not to do, or what to try. And then depending on how open that content team is within that organization, they may or may not listen to that audience development person. Right. That's, that's not a very effective way to do it. I, I had a very unique situation where the audience development person that we have sort of evolved to actually overseeing all of our publishing uh, for the content. And simply because I, we happen to have the right skill set of someone that was very analytical, but had a, a very strong creative background, which gave us the ability to not only be able to analyze the data, but then immediately put it into action. And we've now sort of evolved her role to really think about even broader in, in content strategy in general, which really then speaks to the brands that we're launching, the shows that we're developing that are multi-platform. So it's it's very sort of weaved and integrated into everything that we do. I mean, one of the things that I that I was so impressed when I first got here is, you know, and I hate to say it because one of those sort of things that everyone says is that, you know, that, oh, we're data-driven. And of course, you hear that and, in, in, you know, most people just kind of make a face because everyone is data-driven to some extent, right? But here, what, what the group did is they went through a really painful process of actually deconstructing, deconstructing episode by episode, all of the different, sort of almost shot by shot, what were the different elements associated with the content, something that I spoke about earlier in our conversation, and then mapped sort of how those different you know, changes in the storytelling and what was in the screen, uh, whether or not you were using split screen, what colors were you using, size of text, um, what parts of the story you were actually highlighting and where, and how that impacted completion rate for every single piece of content. And the degree of complexity that I saw in sort of this analysis, I was completely blown away, right? And I was in a situation where before in my previous organization, I did have the data team report to me. So, you know, it's pretty familiar in terms of what, what does data-driven actually mean? And, and the big, I think the biggest difference between what we do here and what you would see in most places is most organizations that talk about being data-driven, what they really are referring to is the packaging of that content. I mean, they spend a lot of time thinking about how do I get the most distribution for this content that I've already created, which typically means, like I said, in the context of Facebook, you know, what headline am I going to use? What shared text? What thumbnail? And that's all great, right? That's what gets people in the door. We obviously do that part as well, but we went through the harder process of saying, well, let's let's move that forward. Let's track it all the way through to completion, and let's really understand how does the audience behave and engage with this content, not just at the beginning. What gets me the most people to go through the front door? But what's going to get us to get people to go all the way through the store, all the way to the end? And I think that's a big part of the distinction that we've made. And also organizationally, we're lucky in the sense that we have sort of a nice uh, balance of, of, of data and art that we have within our organization. And a lot of it's sort of driven by this, this, this sort of team that is very much embedded into the overall content strategy, not sort of a side group that is out there analyzing things and then giving, just, just giving recommendations. Right. So, I mean... So, so you talk a lot about, you know, uh, well, clearly, first of all, analytics and data are a huge part of vertical networks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, you talk a lot about accelerating 
the development of your IP, your content, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if is that like is that like your spin on you know Mark Zuckerberg's move fast and break things, or is that like you know where where are you are, do you do you guys create a lot of test content or and kill a lot of content or do you mostly kind of have an idea of what's going to work before you put it out the door? Well, I think we have. I mean, there's nothing like actually getting content out of market and understanding how it actually engages with, with, with an audience. Um, we have a lot of data because we benefit from the fact that we're talking to this audience every single day. So we get a lot of sort of input signals back of what resonates, what doesn't. But there is this, I don't know if I would call it the same approach with, uh, as, as Mark you know, put in place, <laughs> but there is this sense of, of we have to be quick to market to understand how does this content actually resonate with this audience. And the reason we do it in sort of these sort of batches of four to six episodes is we also need enough data back to understand whether or not the format itself actually worked. It wasn't just sort of a casting thing. Like, you know, you just happen to cast the right, the, the, the right, the, 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 you know, the right talent for a specific episode and that did really well. So it's not about for us having sort of, you know, making decisions on single data points. And, you know, I used to see that quite a bit. And historically, a lot of people do this. They will put out one episode and if it did well, and do a second one and a third one. The challenge with that is you would get a lot of false positives or mm-hmm. false negatives for that matter, right? Is you happen to create one very good, one very good episode of, of a show, but it's not really a show. It was just a good idea. It was a good joke that you did, right? Or you happen to have a very good cast for that single day. We do it in batches because there we have enough data back to truly understand whether we have a format that actually resonates with this audience, to truly see whether we're starting to see, you know, see build like basically week over week uh, a building of audience that are coming back for that content. And that's what's really important. But then to that point that you mentioned earlier, we also kill these ideas off pretty quickly. Uh, if we see that they're just not quite there, if they're not resonating, uh, we have no issue stopping one of one of these shows because I think that's a really important part of how you have to operate as a, as a digital company is that you know, we're not going out and putting together a panel and asking people to just give us their input of whether or not they would like this content. If we use real data to understand what actually resonates, and part of having this nimbleness that we have is being able to put out things in market and understand what resonates and then going from there very quickly. Great. I, look, I, I think I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of the approach that you're talking about. I think it's I think the I think the four to six episode batches, like I said, like you said, I'm sorry, um, really helps determine, you know, viewer loyalty, whether they're and how fast are they coming back to view the same uh, the show are they are they watching them consecutively are they coming back after a day right. you know things like that are all super interesting to kind of break down and, and analyze from a data analytics perspective um and, and just understanding you know exactly you know uh how much time they're engaging with the content from how long they're watching it whether they're breaking it up whether they were i guess i don't know if you can tell whether they've been interrupted i guess if they jump away mid right uh mid video um, but yeah, those are all super important things, I think, in de- when determining uh, the types of content to be focused on. And I, 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 it's great to see uh, you know, how, how, how well you guys seem to have put that together. I think, it, a, yeah, the, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the other thing I was going to ask, the other point that's also really important in this is that part of how we've you know, shifted our organization to really accelerate the IP that we're creating is also having a lot more ideas, right? A lot more things come, come to life. And... You know, as an organization, while we are very data driven, we also are a very sort of creative focused organization, right? And and even what we do is on a monthly basis, and we're starting to do this a little bit more frequently because we just have a lot of things that we're trying to test out. But we, we have a forum or a, a, a workflow where we basically have every single person in the organization have an opportunity to actually pitch new ideas, new formats. And we have a pretty structured process in terms of what it is that we're asking them, asking them to develop, right? Like, what is the log line? What does the format look like? Uh, what does episode examples look like? And then really important questions like, what, what do we know from our data that will make this show successful? Either in things that we, we know from that we previously have tested for with the audience or things that we know about the audience themselves, right? And the second thing, or the last thing is like, why should we be the ones that create the content? What is it about us that we should be able to, to own this type of format? And the reason we do this is because um, we wanna create a situation where we have just a slew of new ideas popping up every single, every single month. And it also gives us a lot to pull from to then go out and we have a whole sort of committee that we use, we have a green light committee that then immediately looks at this and says, well, 
based on this idea that we have, it fits really well into one of our brands that we're publishing, and, and therefore we feel like this could go right into production as an, as an original series. Or, and also part of our efforts that we're doing as an organization is because we're out also in market, uh, uh, you know, doing content sales and developing you know, IP for third-party sales, there are some ideas that are coming up from there that we really go into the development process that will further flush out because they feel that for that specific concept, it just it, it fits more into a bigger sort of format that is not necessarily mobile first. Um, so, but but it's it's a part of a process that we've done as a as a as a company, and because we truly sort of value both sides of the house, right? We have to be very disciplined about why something resonates, why it works, and be very critical about it, actually analyzing it to make sure that it's performing as expected. But we also be, want to be a, a very, very creative, friendly place of which new ideas are constantly being generated. Because the reality is, we are targeting a very a younger generation, which is sort of young millennial slash Gen Z, and that's what a lot of my creatives that are here in this company. That's what they are, right? So we want to be reflective of of, of the audience that we have and and the people that work for us. That actually, I think, is a great uh, transition into the next topic, which is about monetization strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I believe you have a show uh, that you that you licensed already uh, to Fox called Phone correct. Swap, correct? Correct. Yeah. So that's uh that's that's probably one of our more successful uh, shows that we've done to date. So this is um so just uh, to give a quick description of what Phone Swap is. So Phone Swap is a reality dating show uh, where the premise is that you know two people come into a blind date. And within a couple of minutes of the blind date, they have to swap phones. Now, they don't know they have to swap phones. So it becomes <laughs> even that moment is a moment of panic. You can see it in other faces. And the idea is each person gets to go to the other, through the other person's phone and then from there decide whether or not they want to continue the date. Well, it, it's sort of the, the beauty of it is sort of the, the simplicity of, of that content. And it, um, it actually we've done four original series or seasons of that show on Snapchat. So it was mobile first content, but then sort of similar to what I was describing earlier is very much in alignment to our strategy. We were able to develop a 22 minute version that we then licensed uh, to the Fox television group and ran in their top eight markets. Um, did very well. It was as a, as a 30 minute late night show. And that's a great example of what good looks like for us, right? Is having this ability to test these formats out uh, in mobile, but then being sort of ideas that we feel can be expanded into a bigger universe. Now, and the reality was what we did here is we didn't just take the exact same content and not put it on television. Of course not, because the mobile version is that. It's a mobile first piece of content. We developed a core new, using everything that we had learned about what resonates in the mobile world, we developed a TV friendly version of this show that right. was horizontal, of course. And and the, But that's part of the, the, the understanding. Like we had a lot to pull from what you, we already knew about what works about the format. And simply develop for for a for a linear experience. No, yeah. So how how long is the Snapchat version of the show? The TV version so was it, obviously twenty two minutes. Yeah, it's about a four to five minute runtime on those on those episodes. Gotcha. So I I just want to commend you on how 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 impressive that feat uh, is. I think one of the things that a lot of people clearly you get it and your team gets it that content um, and format you know are. Are, are, are super critical when it comes to depending on where your distribution is right i mean like right. a lot of people try and fit the same content across multiple uh distribution channels w- where they really should be um developing it specifically for that distribution channel that's right i think that the, the the way that we think about it is sort of beyond the viewing experience we think a lot about what is the user experience how is someone going to be able to how are they going to access this content how are they consuming it what device are they using and it's a very different experience of watching it on a 54 inch screen or the watching it in your in your mobile phone so you have to be very intentional about that and, and you're right it's not about simply taking the exact same content and packaging you know 20 different ways but about really understanding the the, the where and the how um and then optimizing that experience for that for that for that viewing uh, uh experience yeah so, so just to recap, so I want to make sure um, we. So it's advertisements, right? I guess through. Oh yeah, for the for the monetization model. Yeah. yeah. So what we have is, uh, we have uh, basically we we have three primary paths of monetization for the company. One is sort of platform revenue and the platforms that we're publishing, right? And we get a revenue that from advertising that runs in those in those platforms. We also have content sales. So the things like as we just talked about the example of, of Fox. 
Mm-hmm. But really for us, that's another part of the business that we're growing out quite a bit is we're going out and talking to all the content buyers and really with ideas that are inspired by what we or either that we've developed before and we tested out previously on mobile uh, or formats or content that have inspiration from the younger generations, um, but that we feel have the ability to obviously expand into into bigger, bigger platforms. And the third one is sort of uh, direct sales, right? So one of the areas that we did not have historically was a direct sales team. So a brand partnership team, and that is an area that you know, I've been focusing on building out. So for the last about eight weeks, that team has not really come to come in place. Um, we have a, a, you know, just over the last eight weeks, I have I had a, a new head of brand strategy, head of operations, expanded my, my sales team. but And we're going on and talking to brands and advertisers that either A, want to engage with our audience, um, B, want to be able to associate themselves in a premium environment on mobile with IP that we've developed. Or C, brands that want to be able to find more effective ways to speak to their audience through mobile-first environments. And those are cases where we will create either custom content that, if it fits, will run within our distribution uh, channels or that we will uh, you know, build for, for them directly. Mm-hmm. Almost as an agency, I guess, in that in Yeah, that those last... are agency like yeah. services. Yeah, correct, correct. Very cool. So, obviously, I, uh, I'm going to ask you a question that might make you a little uncomfortable. Hopefully sure. not. Um, how how do you feel about Snapchat right now? Are you worried, excited? How do you feel about it? You know, with with Snapchat, obviously, we've been with them uh, from the beginning, right? And we built a lot of our or all of our mobile IQ and, and really operated there. I think the thing that gets me excited about Snapchat are at least two two main things. One is as it relates to younger audiences, especially Gen Z audience. That is a place where there's a lot of Gen Z audience that are very actively engaged. Uh, and therefore, for me, as a point of distribution, as a point of, of where I'm you know, creating content, it's a very important place that I want to make sure that our team continues to be very focused on. I think the second thing that gets me excited about Snapchat is that, you know, when I think about who are the companies out there that have been trying to push the envelope of premium mobile content, I will put Snapchat really at the forefront of that conversation because they were first in market of really thinking about what does you know, what do shows actually look like for an environment like Snapchat, right? What mm-hmm. does show look like Fair when they're, because they're directly on mobile? And that's exactly where our vision and our strategy is focused on. So it's extremely important as well that we continue to develop IP and put it within, within that environment. You know, having said that, as a company, we're obviously also very focused indeed in expanding our multi-platform distribution. And really more because I just feel that any company this day and age who has single platform distribution is, is looking for trouble sooner sooner or later. I mean, you sort of alluded to it earlier about the number of companies that struggled in Facebook that had right. only Facebook as a point of distribution. So there's a path here, which I strongly believe in, that in order for us to be self-sustaining and to be a, a company that has long-term value, we have to be very we have to be basically engaging our the audiences that we want to go after in the places where they are, which is typically going to look like multi-platform distribution. But that is not because we're we're not committed to being a Snapchat because I still, as for the, the two you know reasons that I mentioned earlier, that's a place where I want to have a big presence, where I want to develop a lot of content. But we do have a sort of a broader you know point of view of the world in terms of as we're thinking about development of, of new IP and where we're putting content sort of across the board. As a matter of fact, when I talked about the acceleration of our of our IP engine, you know the seven series that we would have launched now, we've done four now. We've got three more coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so seven series that we've done just for this year, uh, additional series, those are all multi-platform, right? So going forward, everything that we're creating is, is sort of going to all the, uh, the various platforms to make sure that we're engaging those audiences there and obviously learning about which of these formats resonates and which platform, and then we'll, we'll expand from that. No, that sounds like very, very, um, you know, solid uh, advice, you know, and things to follow. I, one of the questions I have, because we were talking a lot about uh, making sure the format and the content fits, obviously, the distribution channel. Obviously, you know you've been using, you've been working with Snapchat for a while, a long, not, a long time now. If you were to expand and 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 and, and let's say go on IGTV, for example, uh, offer your content there, would would the content be uh, the same as as what you find on Snapchat, or would it be slightly different, or or how, how are you guys thinking about that? Yeah, so the the series that we're launching now, um, they're all multi-platform. They tend to be sort of snap first, like we'll launch them there and then expand across the board. So we're already actually publishing now into IGTV, uh, Instagram in general. And you know, a big part of there in terms of what formats will ultimately resonate in those platforms. 
I think we're really early days there. I think IGTV in general is still pretty early days in terms of what will work well. So part of the reason why our initial approach is to be sort of broad in terms of multi-platform first, and then from there figure out which of the formats that we're developing really make more sense for each of the platforms. It's exactly that. It's rather than being assumptive about what may work or, or doesn't, we want to first make sure that we have the right amount of sort of volume and, and, and exposure into those platforms. And from there, use our same sort of analytical approach that we use over the last you know three years and Snapchat to build bodies there and apply it against each of the platforms that we're in. So that's a lot of our, of our approach. I think ultimately, do I expect some formats to do better on an IGTV versus a Snapchat or a, or a YouTube or even a Facebook? Sure. Uh, which of those numbers you know, will be, I guess we don't, we don't know yet, but we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Last question in terms of uh, this platform stuff. Facebook Watch, any interest there? Does that sound interesting to you or, or not really? So, yeah, so <laughs> we did a, yeah, we, it's funny because last year we did a show uh, called I Have a Secret. And that was on Facebook Watch. And it did very, very well. And that was really different in terms of tone and, and type of content that we do. Um, and that one was sort of very serious about you know, people that were coming out with really heavy you know, issues that they've been holding for a long time. And that's a show that we launched on Facebook Watch. Um, I think it averaged about 13 million views per episode. I think the highest performing episode was like 26 million views. I mean, it did, it did very well. Um, so as we're now expanding our sort of the, our approach against each of the platforms, we do think of Facebook as a place we want to be engaged in. Now, because of the audience profile that tends to be there, it's going to be slightly older. Um, so we'll see, once again, sort of similar approach, we'll see which of the content that we that we publish there will continue to resonate. I think Facebook Watch and IGTV, like, they all have sort of different issues that they're trying to figure out in terms of how to have more intentional viewing with each one of those platforms. Uh, but it's something that we're obviously paying a lot of attention to and just trying to better understand the type of content uh, that will resonate in each of those experiences and be as close as possible to them. Now, the one thing that is unique to us in our approach is that in each of those cases, we're creating content for Facebook that is Facebook mobile, not Facebook desktop. And that's the same thing for YouTube, right? So when most people create content and publishing content for YouTube, it is, uh, it's really built, built more for a desktop experience, not for us. So we're, we're really just trying to be disciplined about thinking about a mobile first world uh, across all the platforms that we're in. Um, and, and that's something that we're obviously we're going to measure to see how successful that is, but we feel pretty bullish that that's the right way to go. All right. All right. Last question before we get to the lightning round. All right. So you're, you're a new CEO. You've been, I think at vertical networks now for what, like eight months or so. Yes. Uh, I guess six going on seven. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So you're right there in the thick of it. You're almost at the year mark as a first time CEO. What keeps you up at night? Uh, every, uh, everything probably, uh, no, it's, 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 uh, I feel that, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, what's, what's really interesting is, is we're in such an interesting time as it relates to media, right? There's so much change and complexity that is there. Uh, we're obviously trying to push the envelope as it was what storytelling has been in really sort of this mobile environments. And, you know, when you're a young company that you're really trying to be very innovative about what you're doing, it's, it's obviously doesn't come without all of its set of challenges. Um, the thing that I've been really blessed with is just having great mentors and access to, and access to people within the, within the industry that I could always see, always reach out and have conversations. Even when we talked about earlier, you know, um, in terms of how the company was founded. So, you know, even with Liz, like I basically speak with her every week. Uh, we have conversations about the industry, sort of the, the roadmap, what we're thinking about, challenges that we're having. So my ability to be able to pull from folks like especially someone like her who has tons of experience in developing ip companies really gives me the support that is that, that i need in terms of being able to grow this company the right way uh, at the same time of course there is a lot of changes constantly happening and i think the balancing act that we're trying to sort of instill here is you know some of the ones that we spoke about already sort of this combination between you know between analytics and, uh, and creative right and i think we have a really nice balance there i think the other thing too is you know, when I think about my staff, you know, a lot of the folks that I have in this part of the organization are also really, really young because that is the audience that we're going after. So I want our content you know, creators in, in this company to be representative of those audience. They have to be diverse. They're going to be young. But you need that a sort of combination of experience and, and youth to make sure that we're capturing the right kind of topics. But we're, we're also building out the business in the right way where it can scale. And those are the things that I constantly think about. Um, and, yeah, probably the, the things that keep me up most at night. All right. All right. That sounds that sounds like those sound like legitimate concerns. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, no, I I think uh, and th- those I mean I think you what you're building is super interesting, 
and I, I'm really excited uh, to, that you uh, that you're on. And now, of course, that you've made it through all the all the tough part of this, you know, the, the whole interview part. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at the lightning round now, which of course is supported right. by Wix. You can create a professional website today at Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com. So all right, so hey, Seuss, whenever you're ready, you let me know. We'll I'm get ready. started. All right, I'm here ready. We go. Let's do it. What's the most recent recent show you've binge watched? Uh, Russian Dolls. Okay. Uh, which celebrity would you most like to have a meal with? Uh, Benicio del Toro. Oh, interesting. Okay. Do you have any secret talents? Uh, I used to uh, I used to do half Ironman so triathlons. Wow, that's awesome! My 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 dad was a huge triathlete as well. Um, oh, the last last part of that, and also while having a major fear of drowning. That's for a whole other conversation. But yeah, <laughs> we'll have to have you back on to discuss that. <laughs> yeah, <one. laughs> exactly. Netflix or Amazon Prime Video? Who actually like both? But uh, I, I want to say Netflix at this point. Okay, last one. Last song you played on your phone or computer? Uh, Travis Scott. Forget the um, sicko mode. Nice. Well, I'm I'm so glad that you again you were on. Hey, Seuss, If you if anyone who's listening wants to get in touch with you after listening to this, what's the best way for them to do that? I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest. It's probably the nice thing of being called uh, Jesus. Uh, it's very. <laughs> Very easy to find Jesus Chavez on LinkedIn. Very easy to find me that. I can I can confirm it is easy to find him on LinkedIn. I found him <laughs> in roughly a split second. <laughs> there, there you go. All right. Well, hey, Jesus, it's been great having you on. I, I look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. This podcast is supported by Ahrefs. So you have a website and you want to rank better? Of course you do. Ahrefs is designed to be an amazing all-in-one SEO tool. In fact, I've been testing it and it lets me do things like generate millions of keyword ideas, discover new trending keywords every month, examine the ranking history of my site's individual pages, and even identify content gaps and opportunities. They also just launched the latest beta of their Keywords Explorer product. The new Keywords Explorer features clickstream data from 10 major data sources, including Google, YouTube, Amazon, Bing, and Yahoo. So now, when you start seeing even more best techie all over the web, you know who to thank. Go ahead, check them out at ahrefs.com. That's A-H-R-E-F-S.com. Oh, and feel free to tell them I sent you. Thanks for listening to Techie Bytes. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.